Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so grateful you guys are here with us, whether you're joining us in person or maybe you're in the courtyard because uh, it's such a nice day or uh, you're watching at home. We're grateful to have you. Our hope and prayer is that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. I want to let you know about something that's happening in two weeks. In two weeks, we're starting a new series called For the Church, For the City. And this is the most important series we've ever done as a church. Uh, so I want to encourage you, be there, be a part of it. Every week we're going to have something different going on. Uh, if you currently watch at home and online, uh, maybe, maybe come on October 9th. That's the first week of the series. We're going to do Kona Ice for everybody. We're going to have t-shirts for everybody. Uh, it is going to be an awesome, awesome day. Uh, but this is the most important series we've ever done as a church. And as a part of it, uh, we've been uh, doing these uh, vision meetings over the last few months where we've been just uh, gathering small groups of people and uh, telling about where we feel like God is calling us and where he's taking us as a church. And uh, so we're going to be doing one of those. I want to invite everybody to on October 4th. Uh, it's a Tuesday and it'll be a virtual vision meeting. So you can stay at home, chilling out, whatever, uh, and, uh, and still join us. Uh, and it'll give you some information about where, where we feel like God is taking us as a church. If you want to be a part of that, uh, you can just open up your worship guide that Jackie just talked about. You can scan the QR code that's on the inside uh, of that worship guide, and you can register. I would encourage you, if you want to attend October 4th, register by uh, September 29th, uh, because we have a package to send out. Uh, so we want to be able to get that out to you in time for that vision meeting. So don't miss the series. If you're on vacation or you're sick or whatever, you can join us online. If you're here, uh, then show up in person. And I believe that God's going to move in a powerful way. Hey, today we're going to continue the series called In God We Trust. Where we're looking at this idea of, man, how do you trust God? And, and, and you know, in our lives, like, we're longing for someone to trust in. I mean, when our world right now is at uh, kind of this crazy time of turmoil and, and disunity, we have this, like, this, it's this, at this fever pitch of where we're at. We need something to cut through all the noise so that we can uh, decide, man, how in the world do we trust in a God who is good and who is faithful? And we've been trying to give you some tools to, to help you along in that process. And today, we're going to continue that conversation. And we're going to talk about good news now, how many of you long for some good news in your life? Anybody want some good news? How many of you have ever woken up uh, and in the morning you've thought, man, I just need some good news today? Like I just, I'm reading all this, uh, these other networks and reading all this junk out there and all this fear-based stuff and all of that. Man, I just need some good news. There's actually some uh, news organizations that that's all they do is they just produce good news. So I want to give you three good news articles that I found. The first one is of Chick-fil-A, of course, because you can't have good news without Chick-fil-A. Uh, uh, the, 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 there was this lady, she was in the Chick-fil-A Chick line. You might have uh, seen this uh, with her car. And this dude tried to carjack her. Uh, with a baby in the car, and the Chick-fil-A kid uh, ran over, because you know he's probably a kid, and he does this to the guy right here, puts him on the ground, and says, my pleasure, you know? <laughs> so that's good news. That's why you got to love some Chick-fil-A, because they got people like that working there. Uh, the next one, maybe you, see, you saw the next one. The next one is of a, a Little League game where this kid gets hit in the head uh, by a pitch, uh, which, if you've ever played baseball, man, that's like one of the scariest things to happen. Well, the kid gets up, he goes to first, and the pitcher is distraught. The pitcher's just crying. And so the kid walks over to the pitcher's mound and just gives him a hug to let him know that's okay. Like, there's still sportsmanship alive in our society 
today. The last one, it might not be good news to you because maybe it doesn't impact you or whatever, but my grandfather, he died of Parkinson's, so it's good news for me. There's a lady in England uh, that can actually, I don't know how, okay? So like, give me grace on this one. I don't know how she does it. She can smell Parkinson's on people. Now, I don't know if she's like doing like that, but she was able to smell it on her husband 12 years before uh, he was diagnosed with it. And now the doctors and scientists have been using her to die. And she's got like 98% smell rate or something. I don't know how you classify that, but like she's almost perfect with being able to, so they're using now uh, what, like kind of a, her, her DNA and some of what she has to like figure out, man, how do we test for this uh, so that we can catch it earlier and be able to take care of people. Uh, and so if you've ever been impacted by Parkinson's or your family has, this is, uh, it's, it hasn't gone anywhere yet, but it could be some, some really, really good news. Today we're going to talk about good news. We're going to talk about real good news. Turn to your neighbor and say good news. We're going to talk about good news. We're going to do so based on a passage of scripture. It's one of my favorite passages. It's Psalm 46. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, Man, this is one of my favorite passages to preach on. It is so powerful. There's so much, so much depth to this passage. Uh, in fact, Martin Luther, who's a 16th century theologian and pastor, he would say that when his church would be in distress, when, when the people were just anxious and worried and all of that, he would call on his church to sing out this psalm and then let the devil do his worst. He also used this psalm to write the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is our God. If you've ever sung that before, you've ever heard that, that um, uh, hymn, then he, he used this psalm to write that. So let me give you some context. Psalm 46, it was written around 701 BC. And what's happening during that time is Sunakarib, who is uh, the, the king of Assyria, um, the Assyria is a superpower. Uh, they are devastating. And this guy, he's king of them. So he's got his crew, his warriors, his band of men just going out and destroying lands and destroying cities. So in 701 B.C., they besieged Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. Now, this wasn't any just this typical besieging. This wasn't any army that was typical. I mean, they were brutal. Uh, they were known to be the most efficient, feared military in the ancient world. They had weapons that others didn't have. They had sophisticated and efficient training that others didn't have. They used psychological warfare before and after they would conquer a group of people. They were brutal. Have you ever seen the movie 300? Take like that times a thousand. You know, if you've ever watched the movie Taken, it's like 185,000 Liam Neesons who have a very particular set of skills. Like these guys knew what they were doing. They were brutal. They didn't want to just defeat you. They wanted to humiliate you, to annihilate you. And they would use psychological warfare. They would actually send these tablets to the city that they were besieging to let them know this is, a, this is what we're going to do to you. We have a picture of one of those tablets that they were sent. And on this tablet is a guy being flayed. Flayed. Now, what does that mean? It means that they would stretch him out and then they would skin him while he was alive. So they would send this in like, hey, this is what we're going to do to you. They would impale people with, onto poles or onto swords and let them die out. They would cut off body parts. They would cut off their nose or their ear and they would put it on a necklace and wear it as like a symbol of like this is how great we are. And I know this is kind of graphic, but this is only what they would do to the men, to the warriors. We won't talk about what they would do to the women and the children, it was way worse. So this is the context that God is speaking. The Jewish people, those who are in Jerusalem, they're surrounded by the Assyrians, the greatest army the world has ever seen, the most brutal army the world has ever seen, and God speaks. Psalm 46, verse 1. 
God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Imagine, imagine being behind the walls and you see this army and this is what God says. Hey, God is, is our, our, our strength, that, that God is our refuge, that he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. What does that mean? What does it mean to be an ever-present help in times of trouble? Well, that phrase uh, really comes from two Hebrew words. The first one is me'od. And mayod means to be to exceedingly. It means a lot. It means much. One theologian says it means much muchness. Like this ever present is, is so much. It's overwhelming. It's overflowing. The other word is matsao, and it means to, to find or to discover or to encounter. It's like this experience that you have that you, you can't even use words to properly describe to someone. Like, they, like you, can, you can describe whatever it is the best way possible, but until that person experiences it for themselves, they can't fully grasp how powerful, how great this moment is. It, it, it's like if you've ever climbed a 14er, then, then you know you get to the top and you're like, whoa. And you can't describe that to anybody else. I mean, you could talk about like, man, it was hard and man, I could barely breathe and my head was hurting or, or whatever. You could describe all of that, but like you can't tell somebody like, this is how it feels. This is how incredible it is. It's like having a child. You've had a child, like both my kids, I almost fainted on both of them because I'm like, this is unbelievable. Like no one can prepare you. People will be like, oh, it's great, Ernest. Wait, wait till you have a kid. It's amazing. Wait till you, wait till you see the head coming. Like, it's so crazy. And like you get in that moment, you're like, what? Like you can't describe it. It's like, what? Well, it's, it's like Yolanda's queso. You know, like you just can't, can't fathom how great it is. And, and it's an experience that like you can read on, on a Google review and somebody can tell you about. But until you have the experience yourself, you'll never fully grasp how great it is, how amazing it is. And this is what I've been praying for you this week. I've been praying that our God will show up in your life in an overflowing, overwhelming, much muchness type of way. It will be so great and so powerful that no one can explain it. That you can't put words to it enough for somebody to be like, oh, I get it. That our God would intersect your life today in that way. I think about the Jewish people in the, in the midst of this. I mean, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the, the potential loss, in the midst of the, the current reality and the, the darkness, the hopelessness that they're surrounded by right now. God is saying, I'm your ever-present help. I'm right there with you. The news that was being reported was bad. I mean, hey, these Assyrians, they're evil. They're going to conquer us. They're going to do these horrific things to us. And then they're going to do even worse things to our women and our children. This is a bad situation. But there was good news. God's saying the good news is, is that he is our refuge and our strength, that he is our ever-present help in times of trouble, that he will overflow with exactly what we need when we need it. What do you need today? What do you need today? For some of us, we need peace. Maybe you've been waking up in the middle of the night or you can't go to sleep or you're just constantly worrying about this situation, about this person, about your job, about your finances, about the world at large, about your kids, whatever it may be. You're just constantly in a state of worry and you need God to overflow with peace today. 
Maybe you need security. You look at this chaotic world and you're wondering, maybe you look at your finances, you're wondering like, where is my security going to come from? And you need God to overflow with his provision. Maybe you're hurting, you're mourning, you're in sadness, and you need the comfort of God to overflow in your life today. To be much muchness for you. Maybe it's in your hopelessness. Maybe you find yourself or you find a situation that you're in right now that just feels like there's no hope. Like you're not going to be able to get out of this. And you need God to overflow with hope today. You need to, to, to break into the darkness with this overflowing light. What do you need today? What do you need this God who is our great refuge and strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble? What do you need him to step into today? Let's continue on with the, the psalm, verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. Because God is our refuge and our strength, because he is this ever-present help in times of trouble, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, look at verse 6. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. I feel like this describes our world today. Though mountains quake, though, though the world shakes, though kingdoms fall, though, though nations are, are in turmoil, though all this stuff's happening, our God, all he has to do is speak. And things melt away. Look at verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Saying God is with us. That he is our fortress. That he cares for you and I. I know that the Assyrians are at the doorstep. I know that you're facing these troubles in life. But our God is our fortress. That he is with us right now. It sounds crazy. But he's with you in the midst of it. I think sometimes... For many of us, when it comes to God and, and being there for us, there's so many times where we think, man, God shouldn't worry about this. Like this thing, it's just too small. Like God's got other big things to worry about. Have you ever thought of that? Like God's got so much to worry Like there's so many other issues in the world around us. God's got his hands full right now. I've just got this little thing. I'll take care of it. And there's a truth that we find in this psalm that, that I think is really important. My, my, my prayer is that, this will become a truth that not only you believe today, but you believe every day moving forward. And it's this. Our God is big enough to oversee the whole world and loving enough to care about you. Our God is big enough. He's powerful enough. Oversee the entire world. To oversee everything. He sees what's going on in all the countries right now in this moment. Like you're, we're like, man, we can't fathom that. You're right. We can't fully comprehend a God this great and this powerful. And yet he oversees it all, and he loves you so much that he's concerned for you, that he loves you, that he is our fortress. He is with us. God didn't create you and then save you to then leave you. Let me repeat that. God didn't create you and then save you to then leave you. God created you. You're his masterpiece. He fashioned you perfectly in his image. He's got plans for you and a purpose for you. Like you were created on purpose. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. I don't care what your parents said. Like God sees you and he's like, I created you. I fashioned you. But not only that, but he saved us. How did he do that? Because sin 
When we, when we chose to sin, we chose to separate ourselves from God. God created us to have a relationship with us. This is the beauty of the Lord. He created us to have a relationship with you and I. And yet our sin separates us from God. We can't do anything to have a right relationship with God again. Like we can't do enough good things. We say, can't say enough good things. We can't help enough people across the street. We can't do enough to be in good grace with God. It's only God's grace toward us. So he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. He paid that penalty so they can be in relationship with us, so we can come back to him. So he created you. He saved you. If you choose to receive Jesus and what he's done, he's not going to abandon you now. I'd be like if you had... If you have kids, like you do so much for your kids, you know, early on you're changing their diapers and you're feeding them all the time. You're doing pretty much everything for them. And then as they get older, it kind of feels like you're still doing everything for them. Like if it's just in a different way and you're constantly working, you're constantly doing so much for your kids. You work hard for your kids. You sacrifice so much for your kids. You do so much for your kids. And then say they become teenagers or, or maybe go off to college and they make a mistake and you're like, man, you're out of here. I don't want you to part of my family. No, you're not going to do that. You're going to do whatever it takes to love them, to care for them, to, to help direct them back to the right way or, or help point them to the Lord. Uh, whatever the values are in your home, you're going to do everything you can to help them in that time. You're not going to abandon them. Why? Because you're a good parent. Our God is a great heavenly father. He's greater than you and I. And he didn't create you to then save you and then abandon you. He is with you. He is our fortress. Look at verse 8 and 9. It says, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Hey, guys, let's remember who our God is. I get it. The Assyrians are at the doorstep. But let's remember our God is the one who makes wars cease. Our God is the one who breaks the bows. Our God is the one who shatters the spears. This is the God that we serve. I know it looks like, like it's not going to be good for us tomorrow. I know this doesn't look like a happy ending for us, but let's remember who we serve. Let's remember the God that, that we are trying to be faithful to. He is faithful to us. Let's remember that God, that he is so great and so powerful, that he has done this before, and he will show up now. And then he closes it out with a verse that Honestly, I love it and I hate it. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture and yet one of the most challenging passages in Scripture. Look at verse 10. He, meaning God, says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. The Hebrew for that phrase is Rapha. And it means to cease striving, to stop, to stop all the effort, all the hard work, to stop all, to cease striving and to what? To know, not believe, not think, not hope, but to know. How do you know that he is God? Because you've had this experience that you can't put into words for other people because God at some point has come into your life. He's done something for you in this way that like it's so indescribable. Like you can't put words to what he's done. This much, muchness, this overflowing, ever-present help 
Because you've had that experience, you know that you know that he is God. Be still and know. (laughs) Sounds ridiculous. The Assyrians are at the doorstep. Like these guys, they they don't play around. They've come to kill us in a brutal way. Not just kill us, to humiliate us, to torture us. And then who knows what they're going to do to our, our wives and kids. I'll remember that my God is my refuge, that he's my fortress. I'll remember all of that stuff. But what I need, this ever-present help in the time of need, what I need is for God to, to give me the power to kill 30,000 men. That's what I need in this moment. And God says, be still and know that I'm God. I hate being still. How many of you are not very good at being still? I hate it. I'm terrible at it. Even when I go on vacation, I'm not good. Like, I always want to do something. I want to be climbing something. I want to be exploring something. I want to do something. Like, even when I'm watching the, a, a football game, like, I can be sitting on the couch, and you think, man, he's being still. No, I'm not. Like, I'm checking my emails. I'm responding to people. I'm always thinking, always planning, always strategizing. I'm always doing something. I don't be still very well. That's not my spiritual gift at all. When I'm still, I can't contribute anything. I can't fix anything. I can't voice my opinion. I can't be important. I can't give a solution. I can't be the main character. And yet God says, you never were the main character. This is my battle. So be still and know. You notice he doesn't say be worried and know, or be anxious, and know, or stay up all night concerned about this thing, and know. He says, be still, and know what? Know that the battle is his, that whatever you're facing right now is above your pay grade. It's probably above your IQ level, above your ability. That's not a knock on any of us, but there are times where Like for me, I'm faced with situations and most of the time I'm like, okay, what's my like 95% that I'm supposed to do? And then like if I can't do the rest and like God can come in. And God keeps putting me in situations where it's like I can do about 5% and I need him to show up a whole lot more. That's hard. That's really challenging. So where do you need to be still? What battle belongs to the Lord in your life? Maybe it's Maybe it's in your marriage. Now, I'm not saying you don't have work to do. But what I am saying is it's only the Lord who changes hearts. Maybe it's something to do with your kids. I'm not saying you don't have a responsibility to lead well and to serve them well and to care for them well. But only the Lord turns them back to him. Only the Lord can heal them. Only the Lord can give whatever it is that you need for your kids. Only the Lord. Maybe it's in your health. I'm not saying you don't have a responsibility to go to the doctors or to take medication, but only the Lord provides complete healing. Sometimes he does that through doctors. Sometimes he does that through medication. But it's still him. Where do you need God to show up? And maybe instead of focusing on all the things that I need to do, all the things that I have to do, all the things that if I do these things, it'll kind of move the needle a little bit, it'll get me closer, it'll help out a little bit more. Instead of worrying about all of those things, Maybe God's just saying, hey, be still. Cease striving. Stop. 
doesn't feel like that's a, a good recipe for an end of the story that any of us long for. It's exactly what God calls us to do. And then you look at the end of the story. You can see the end of the story in 2 Chronicles 32 or 2 Kings 19. If you want to go read about it later, it's just two different, two different versions of the same story. 2 Chronicles 32, 2 Kings 19. And you have the Assyrians, they're, they've besieged Jerusalem, they've got their battle plans, and they don't lose. They don't lose. And the king of Judah at that time is Hezekiah. Hezekiah, in some circles, is thought of as definitely one of the best kings they've ever had, if not the best king that they've ever had. He's a good dude. Now, if I'm king in that moment, I'm going, okay, Let's make sure we've got enough metal. Like, let's make as many arrows and, and swords and spears. And, like, man, every kid that's, like, four and up needs to be, like, wielding a, a spear of some sort or something. Like, I'm making sure that we're all ready for battle, that we're ready to, to do this thing. We're ready to step in and fight in the way that we need to. And King Hezekiah, this great king, he just prays. And he asks God to do a miracle. He doesn't get his people ready for battle. He just says, God, we need you to show up. And that night, God sends one angel. Not 185,000 angels, not one million angels, one angel. And that angel kills 185,000 of the greatest warriors the world had ever seen up to that point. Gone. God was saying in that moment, I have, I have the power, I'm big enough to oversee the entire world and loving enough to care about you, care about your situation, your moment of need, to be your refuge and your strength, to be your ever-present help in time of need. All he had to do was send just one. Maybe today you just need one. One touch of God one song, one angel, one miracle, one display of God's power, one word of encouragement, one person saying hello, one moment to just be still. What do you need right now? How do you need God to step into your life? Be still. Rafa. Cease striving. I know some of you are like, Ernest, this is this is bogus. Like I get it and all that, but I got so much to do. You don't know my story. I'm just telling you the God of the universe does. Maybe in this moment, he's just saying, just be quiet. Let all the things that you think you need to do, all the things you think you have to do to fix this situation, to resolve this issue, to, to repair this relationship, all these things, and you'll have some work to do. But in this moment, be still.
he's striving. And maybe the God who is our refuge and strength, who is our ever-present help in times of need, will show up. Father, we come before you and I thank you so much for your word. God, I can't imagine what the Jewish people were walking through in this moment. And just the unknowns and the fear. And yet you use this story to speak to us today. God, you stepped into their moment as they just prayed and asked you to move. You stepped in. And God, you took care of the battle that they were facing. God, that's what we need you to do today. That in our own hearts and our own lives, with what we're going through, what we're walking through right now, some of us, God, we're facing some crazy battles. We're facing some situations that we don't know how to get out of. Or that we're trying, we're working really hard, and you're calling us in this moment to cease striving. And to know that you are God. Father, to know that you are God, it all begins with a conversation we were having earlier about you, Jesus, dying for us. And some of us in this room, for being real honest, we'd say, you know what, I come into this place, maybe I've never heard of that truth that God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. Maybe for some of us, we have. Maybe we gave our lives to Christ at some point, but if we're to be real honest, we'd say, man, where I'm at right now is I've been doing everything on my own. And for some of us, we feel like God is so distant from us because he's walked away, but and if we could just pause long enough to recognize that we're all sinners and it's our sin that separates us from God. God doesn't separate himself from us. He doesn't choose to walk away from us. He loves us, and yet our sin is what causes this divide. Maybe that's where you are. You can recognize your own sin. You can say, you know what, I, Ernest, I am a sinner. The Bible says that we all are. And yet our God loved you and I so much. He sent his only son to die on the cross to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. So that we could be forgiven. So we could be made new. So we could be brought back into a relationship with him. So if that's where you are today, with every head bowed and eyes closed, you'd say, man, walk into this place feeling far from the Lord, but man, I, I'm hearing this right now and I believe God's just drawing me home. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to recommit my life to Christ. I don't want to do it. Doing it on my own is tiring. It's painful. It's hopeless. So if right now you want to give your life to Christ, recommit your life to Christ, you recognize you're a sinner and, and you're choosing to receive what Jesus did on the cross for you, every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you and you want to accept Christ or recommit, just raise your hand. I want to know who I'm praying for. Amen. 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 So many. Father, thank you for each one of these individuals. 
if you're watching at home, you could just text the word follow to the number on the screen. I just want you to know, man, if you just made this decision, our God sees you. The Bible says that the angels are rejoicing. Our God loves you so much that he died for you. It doesn't mean that life's going to be perfect now, but it means that you now have him, the right relationship with him. You're beginning that now, and as a church, man, we want to walk with you the best way we can. And then for all of us, Father, tell us what our next steps are. God, what we're to do with this conversation of being still and trusting in you. Just like a guy after last service said to me, this is, he hated this message. Because God, it hits us sometimes. So God, help us to be still. To go to you first, to trust in you. And Father, may you show up in a powerful way. It's in Jesus' name.